Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Simon Mainwaring. Simon is the founder and CEO of We First, a creative consultancy that provides strategy, training, and creative that builds purpose-driven brands. Clients include Tom's, Timberland, Virgin Unite, and SAP, and We First was included in the Real Leaders list for the top 100 impact companies in the United States for 2019. Simon's book, We First, is a New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Amazon bestseller, and Strategy in Business named it the best business marketing book of the year. Welcome to the podcast, Simon. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much, Ursula. Thank you. So you have what you call a brand leadership firm. So what does that mean and how does that help you have impact? Well, I think every brand today is really struggling to find relevance. The you know, technology landscape is changing. Demographics are changing. Obviously, culturally, there's a lot of challenges that weren't so top of mind before like climate change and beyond. And so brands are really seeking to find relevance um, as so many different things are being disrupted around them. And so we really focus on positioning brands to lead their category, their industry and the future. And that's what uh, We First is all about. Hmm. Well, in your, um, in your first book, I, I, it keeps being referred to as your first book. So I'm waiting to, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing your next book. Cool. Uh, but, <laughs> but your first book is called We First, How Brands and Consumers Use Social Media to Build a Better World. And with all the, I mean, you wrote the book several years ago, and, and now with all the disenchantment with Facebook and, and other social media platforms, is that all still possible? Can you use social media to build a better world? I think it's a great question, and I think it's a new day, but it's equally relevant in a different way. And let me explain. I think, you know, when I wrote the book um, a few years ago, as you say, the marketplace was rising to the opportunity that social media unlocked and, you know, to reach any number of consumers in real time all around the world and, and to share their message about their product services and, and so on. Unfortunately, a lot of the promise of social media has been sort of uh, sold out, shall we say, to you know the value proposition, the money proposition of uh, social media, and so there's been a lot of disenchantment, you know, for all the reasons we know around privacy and advertising and all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. That said, it, that dialogue between brands and consumers, between citizens and you know institutions, has actually changed the market landscape. It's forced brands of all types to be more transparent and accountable than ever. And as a result, brands are being forced to be very clear about what they stand for, not in the sense of, hey, you know, this is my company X and these are our products, but rather, what is their role in the world? What is that, what is that thing that is larger than themselves that they exist to serve? 
whether it's, you know, gun control, women's equality, you know, all these different things that we have seen play out culturally so loudly recently. Um, and so with that in mind, social media is more relevant than ever in that it facilitates a dialogue, but that dialogue now has shifted where rather than brands talking about themselves or trying to market at you, they've got to talk about what they're in service to. And so I believe social media and engagement through it is as important as ever, but the nature of the conversation has changed due to the last 10 years of uh, interaction across all the different social channels. Hmm. Well, how can brands be part of, of uh, the nature of that conversation? How can they help to create that and to really pull the conversation more in that direction? Because it's been, there's been a lot of overtly promotional stuff that's going on on social media that has, has really led people to abandon platforms. And so how can, how can brands really lead in that to drive the conversation into something deeper? Yeah, it's a great question. And the first place that brands have to start is in knowing who they are, why they exist, what their purpose is. And we first uh, specializes in helping companies define what their purpose is so that they can then go out to the world and talk about something higher than themselves that will make them relevant and meaningful to consumers or citizens' lives. And so, you know, the answer is not in the channels. The answer is not in the consumer or citizen. The answer is within the brand itself. The starting point is working out what your purpose is and then bringing that to life inside your company and then externally through your marketing and then delivering real measurable impact that shows you're putting skin in the game to that end. And so, you know, we first, my book was really about laying out a methodology for how you go about that. And over the last seven or eight years, we've been lucky enough to, you know, work with a lot of the different purpose leaders from Virgin Unite to Tom's to Timberland to Cliff Bar and Seventh Generation and others. And over time, you develop this pattern recognition about what works and what doesn't. And there is a very clear way of defining why your company exists in the first place so that you can attract the talent you want, so that you can communicate through social media in a way that you know, is relevant and meaningful to people's lives rather than selling at them, and that allows you to lead a larger cultural conversation that people want to be a part of. So that's where it starts, and that's the role that social media plays. Hmm. Well, how has this come to be important to you? Because you, you started off in a more sort of conventional advertising realm. And now you, with this company, you've really committed to um, helping other companies find clarity of purpose and then, and then put that into practice in their companies. How has that become important to you? Yes, it's, it is very important to me. I think like all the folks that are listening, at some point in our lives, we all sort of question privately or consciously or unconsciously why we do what we do. And I'm an Australian and I'd worked in Australia, London, and all over the US as an advertising guy, as a copywriter, creative director, then worldwide creative director. And I'd been lucky enough to work on cool accounts like I was a writer on Nike up at their ad agency, Wyden and Kennedy. And then I, I ran Motorola Worldwide for Ogilvy as their worldwide creative director. And yet at the end of that process, and really having spent 18 years traveling around the world, looking for the version of success that would fulfill me, I really still found myself living in Los Angeles with a young family questioning what I did and why I do it. And I, I realized in hindsight there wasn't an alignment between who I am 
and what I do on a daily basis. You know, I, mm. I was selling things for the sake of selling them. But really, in truth, I, I realized that I was very much a values-based guy. I was a family guy. And, and after the global economic meltdown in 2007 and 2008, I happened to hear a speech that Bill Gates gave at the World Economic Forum, his creative capitalism speech, where he said, you know, the private sector's got to play a bigger role in social change because government and philanthropy can't do it on their own. And I took mm -hmm. that to heart and I spent three years writing the book and, and, and that launched the company. But in, in truth, it was, it was selfish in the sense that I think you reach a point in your life, whether you're age 20 or age 70, where you ask yourself, well, what's this all about and why am I doing it? And I learned that, you know, it's only by the difference you make or what you give to others or the impact that you have that you actually find the fulfillment that you want for yourself. It's not about recognition or awards or any of those sorts of things. It really is about contribution. And I think by extension, companies today really need to lead with the contribution they're making to be meaningful to those lives that they're trying to reach. And that in turn drives their business. And that's like, you know, the, the tagline for my company, We First, is growth through purpose, because I do believe that purpose is a fundamental growth driver today for some of the reasons we've touched on. So, you know, it's mm -hmm. important to me because I think that's the future of business in terms of growth. And it's important to me because I think like everybody, at some point you go, well, why am I doing what I do? And is it true to who I am? Yeah, in one of the talks that I heard you give, you talk about developing an expanded definition of self-interest that we're really part of a global community and not just a very limited one. Yes, I believe that to be true. I think, I don't think we're learning anything new right now. I think we're actually remembering what we forgot. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you look at First Nations or, you know, anyone from Native Americans to indigenous, uh, you know, tribes and so on around the world, you know, you look at the interconnectedness within their communities. You look at the sort of archetypal idea of a village and how a village comes together and looks after each other. And you also look at the sort of symbiotic relationship that all of these sort of groups had with the land, with nature, whatever they called it, whatever lens they look through in life. And I think what the web has done as, is that it's rewoven the social fabric between us as human beings on the planet um, and at a time when we are very challenged by climate change, plastics in the ocean, loss of biodiversity, all these sorts of things. And so all of that is to say that I think we're at a moment where we're waking up to the fact that we as human beings are all connected and our lives all affect each other. And also we're deeply connected to the planet and how we treat it affects us as well. And so business, your brand, you as an entrepreneur are now being affected by this expectation that you've got to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And then how do you bring that to life inside your company in an, an authentic way? And, you know, how do you make a meaningful difference that's going to drive growth? And so it's that intersection between sort of purpose and profit that we really um, specialize in because I, I, I think it is the future of business. I don't know, given the challenges we face, how it could be anything but that. And so we're, we're just deeply, deeply committed to it and very much in the weeds of doing it on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, you touched on philanthropy and, and uh, you, you mentioned Bill Gates' talk, which has become, become sort of an iconic talk now. And it's what do you see as the role for philanthropy versus building impact in your business, with your business. I, I know that you're, that WeFirst does free training support to nonprofits. You do volunteering. 
How do you see that fitting in with the larger question of impact? Yeah, I think there's many parts of that answer, but like there's a distinction between philanthropy and positive impact through a for-profit business model. And you see many examples out there of like, like the Zuckerberg Chan Foundation and others that have been discussed widely in the press, which really sought to bring a for-profit mentality to the business of positive impact. So, you know, I think more and more companies have shifted from seeing limiting their doing good part to their philanthropy, CSR or corporate citizenship, and they've moved it to the center of who their company is. And it extends all the way from their supply chain and who they work with all the way through to their community giving and impact work. So, so that's one piece of it. The other piece I'd say is that, you know, the role of philanthropy is critical and I, I think about philanthropy in a broader sense, in the sense of giving, because it really is, uh, it shows all stakeholders in your company that you mean what you say. You're not just doing window dressing or optics or purpose washing. You really do mean what you say. So when you do volunteering, your employees get to bring their whole selves to, to work because it makes them feel good that they're making a difference to the lives of others. When you, know, you make a donation to a cause that aligns with the company's values, you're showing that you mean what you say through your marketing and that your impact actually legitimizes your marketing. Um, when you make a difference in others' lives more broadly through philanthropy of your company, you are actually using the resources that business generates to make a difference in the lives of others. And so philanthropy has its place, but it does many more jobs than I think people readily assume. They often think, well, it's just about giving to those in need after the fact. It's absolutely much more than that. It is a driver of employee engagement and productivity. It, it, it legitimizes your marketing and drives consumer engagement. And it's about giving to those in need and unlocking this sort of virtuous cycle between you know, doing good and doing well and doing good and doing well. And so I think it's incredibly important. It's just that it's not siloed off to the side anymore. It's fundamental to who a company is and what it stands for. Hmm. Well, your company has a really interesting mix of strategy training and content in your offerings. And why do you why do you delve into all those areas instead of just just one? Yeah, it's it, it's of necessity, and I'll explain why. The big epiphany for me in starting my own company and having left a you know a successful career was that I was really struck by the power of storytelling. When I was working on Nike, you get to write campaigns for the Olympics and World Cup and all these sorts of things. And we've all seen, you know, wonderful Nike ads. And it really shows you that you can shape culture and, and drive engagement and start movements through the power of storytelling. And my a, a big epiphany, which really was a very simple idea, was that what if we took the power of that storytelling and applied it to business as a force for good? And as I started to explore that when I launched the company after the book came out, rather than just kind of do what every advertising agency has always done, I really wanted to back out of client needs and to really understand what does it take to become an authentic, purposeful company so that you legitimately unlock the value to the business and therefore scale your positive impact. And there were three parts. The first is you've got to help a company understand what to say and how to say it. It's very hard to read the label from inside the jar. And most, most CEOs... Great analogy. Well, yes. And uh, most CEOs and boards and founders and leaders of high-growth companies are so caught up in the day-to-day -day 
they're inside the bubble. It's hard to see how they want to be perceived or need, should be perceived externally. So that's the strategy piece. And we have a, a very specific and unique process based on a we first uh, methodology that <clears throat> unlocks purpose for these companies, their purpose, their positioning, their brand story, and so on. The second piece is, well, if you know what to say and how to say it, you better make sure that it's true inside your company because the first thing consumers or the media do these days is they go, well, that's all well and good what you're saying, but what's really going on inside your company? What's, what's really in the products you make? You know, who, who's in your supply chain? So it's really about getting the company retooled comprehensively internally. And so that's the, the training, the tools, the planning that we do department-wide across companies. And then the third piece is, well, if you know what to say and how to say it, and if it rings true internally, well, then what do you say in your marketing and your advertising and your communications? And so then we do all of that work, which might you know, otherwise be described as advertising. But we see those as three mutually dependent, three legs to the stool, because it's, you can't just talk a good game through your marketing when it not be true inside, or you can't be the most purposeful brand internally, but not actually tell people what you're doing anymore, because millennials and others <laughs> right. want to know that. And if you don't know what yeah. to say or how to say it, you're dead in the water anyway. So that's why we do what we do. And we found it to be absolutely necessary and very effective in terms of unlocking value to, to brands that are trying to grow today. Well, how do you go about choosing your clients with that very strong focus on um, ensuring that the message is congruent with the rest of the company? I, I, I mean, you have brands like Tom's and Cliff Bar, which are well-known companies in this realm of, of being very purpose-driven. But you also have ConAgra and Tupperware, which is very mm -hmm. much in the mainstream and not companies you would think of in that context. Absolutely. So how, do you, how do you choose who you work with? Well, I mean, a couple of comments. One would be back in the day when I started We First, it was early days for this conversation. And, you know, people would say, well, we'd love the world to be that way, but it's not. And you're quite naive and off you go. Um, but the conversation has <laughs> changed as we see whether it's gun control or women's rights or the Me Too movement and so many other issues, public lands, brands are really engaged now around this. So <clears throat> we are lucky in that companies do come to us and, and we work with founders, we work with high growth companies and we work with large companies. We've got a lot of clients who are just one or two people and we help them come out of the gate the right way. So they can be any size. Um, but what you mentioned a couple of examples there, every one of those has a unique challenge. So if you're in the food industry, you might not be telling your story well and therefore, there's a lot of misinformation that gets lay, you know, layered on you or applied to you that you need to course correct. And to do that, you really need to get very clear about who you are, what you stand for, and to, to really become a purposeful brand within, with integrity. And when you talk about a company like Tupperware, <clears throat> many people still think that they are just a party company that you know, provides you know, plastic kitchen goods, but they're actually a huge force for good in the lives of women, especially in the developing world because it is um, pretty much the only other source of income they have. Uh, and so it plays a very meaningful role in their lives. And so, you know, what's interesting for me has always been, nobody starts a company for no reason. Everybody has some instinct of a need in the marketplace that would be valuable. And so, you know, when it comes to choosing who we work with, I've never found a company that didn't have a purpose. They just either didn't prioritize it or they're not in the branding or marketing world or they just don't have the bandwidth. But once they do that, 
it suddenly makes sense of everything they're doing. Because if purpose in truth applies to all departments of a company from how you make your products to what products you make to how you market them and so on, then really unlocking what that is, is hugely powerful in terms of making sense of what you should do and what you shouldn't do. It's also hugely powerful in terms of being able to attract the talent you want and to make them productive and to have them stay longer. It's also incredibly powerful, more so today than ever, in terms of your marketing to really <clears throat> give you something of a higher order to point to. And so, you know, I think purpose is a huge un value unlock right across um, a company for so many reasons. And I'm yet to find a company that is just a startup or a global multinational that doesn't have a purpose that when articulated can really del deliver bottom line value to the business so it can turn, mm -hmm. in turn, you know, scale its impact. Sure. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, that's been my observation too. Well, as you're helping companies integrate purpose and into their, um, <clears throat> into their day-to-day -day, really and how they communicate, um, culture kind of comes into play and culture is notoriously difficult to change and uh, there's that famous uh, Pete Drucker quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So how do you get past that? Yeah, culture I think is one of the unknown silver bullets for brands today because, you know, people can steal your IP, people can copy your marketing, people can, you know, mirror your business model, but no one can have your people. Like mm -hmm. your people are the institutional knowledge of the company. Your people are all the training and investments you made in them and so on. So culture is incredibly important. Now, it's very difficult to shift culture because there's overt things and covert things that reinforce the way things have always been done every day. We think this way, we act this way, this is the way things have always been done. Right. To, to drive a shift of the type I'm talking about, several things need to happen. You need to define your purpose and, and how, to, how to articulate that, the language. And there's a whole you know, wormhole there about the type of language you need to use. So it's not about you, but rather about it, all your stakeholders. But you've got to define what your purpose is in, in clear terms. But then you've got to really plan how you're going to integrate that into the culture. Like what channels do you use? What events do you have where you get your employees together? What you know, efforts do you make already to make a contribution to others? And you've really got to plan all that out. Then you've got to look at training. Training that may apply to leadership or to HR or to marketing or to company-wide as to why this work around purpose is important, what are best practices around it, what value does it unlock, so that everyone's on the same page as to the importance not only to the company but to their daily roles. And then thirdly, you've got to give them tools to that end. You often see, you know, um, we create purpose handbooks that really make sure that everyone inside the company is singing from the same hymn book in a sense so that mm -hmm. someone in accounting can speak to the company and what it stands for and who it is just as effectively as somebody who's in marketing. And, you know, you see that with like Starbucks Little Green Apron book and many other examples out there that people know about. And so to shift culture, you need planning, you need training, you need tools, and you need to make sure that that message is passed top down. It's also you need to make sure that you reward people who are behaving in alignment with the purpose. You recognize them and reward them from the bottom up. 
And then you need to plot these traditions and rituals over time that keep the purpose alive. But my direct experience and you know, of all the folks at We First, the company, is we've been inside you know, dozens and dozens of brands facing all different challenges. And it's incredible. As soon as you start to talk to people in human terms, as soon as you start to relate to them in terms of their whole human being, as soon as you start to give them a chance to play a role that is meaningful to them, not just in terms of their functional role, but meaningful to them as human beings where they feel like they're contributing to something that's going to make a difference, the adoption can be incredibly rapid and mm -hmm. very effective. And the, the biggest obstacle, I'd say, that's always in the way of that might be leadership buy-in. You might have a CFO or somebody who, you know, for all the right reasons, has other priorities, but they need to understand that, you know, these human beings that walk in the door, they're flesh and blood, and, and they're the, you know, this human capital has real value, and you've got to invest in them in those terms, and they will deliver greater productivity and results for you. So there are ways to shift culture very quickly and rapidly, and that is a very structured way you need to go about it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you make some really great points about, uh, about how powerful that focus on purpose is. And, and once you have clarity of that, it can really help bring people together in a way that other things can't, sort of a more intellectually defined mission can't necessarily do. So, yeah. Well, you, you touched on leadership, and uh, I, I'm curious about your own leadership and, and what is, I mean, let's start with uh, what does impactful leadership mean to you? Well, leadership is a very interesting thing today. I think for years, and, and I don't mean to oversimplify it, but I guess leadership, we might say, is, you know, it's a founder of a company or it's the board or you know, it's, you know, the SLT, the senior leadership team. So talking in those terms, whether you're a small or large company, I think, you know, it used to be that leaders could hide behind their job title or the boardroom door or press releases and really not be accountable for what the company stood for um, and to really <clears throat> leverage their elevated position to avoid having to articulate who they are, what the company stands for, and to be able to speak to that meaningfully in the marketplace. That now has shifted. I think we really are in a moment of time where when companies need to demonstrate how they're of service to something higher than themselves, that leader needs to take on a, sp a spokesman role. They need to be somebody who, whether it's for employees or consumers or the media, needs to be able to be very clear and articulate about what the company stands for why it does what it does, both in a defensible way, but in a positive sort of re reputation building way. Um, and also <clears throat> as leaders, the company needs to be very clear about what business it's in above and beyond its category. And what I mean by that is I deeply believe that the opportunity for brands today, <clears throat> excuse me, is to transcend their products, services, or category to shape culture. So you see, the Patagonias of the world talking about access to public lands. You see the Airbnbs of the world talking about our, the right of universal belonging. You know, you, you see Starbucks talking about a variety of issues all related to their platform around shared planet. Um, you know, all of these brands are demonstrating a commitment to something higher than themselves and the leader needs to be of service for that. So I think the onus of leadership has shifted from yourself as an individual to 
your role as a spokesperson for something larger than yourself. And that has huge implications for how you show up, how relatable you are, how vulnerable you are. And I think there is a lot more humanity coming to the role of leadership today than, than in the past. Yeah, I agree. It's, that's been a really powerful shift that I think is very positive. How have you developed your own leadership? And, and has it been mentoring? Has it been other ways that you've, you've consciously become a better leader in, of your company? Yes, it's, it's been a very curious process. I mean, I had no idea what I was getting into when I started this company. I, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't have a foundation client. I had no relatives living in the U.S. Um, you know, it was just a hit and hope but I deeply, passionately believed in the role of business as a force for good. And so throughout the whole process over the last eight years, it's been a question of just talking and learning from everyone I meet. I mean, back in the day when I started the company and was writing the book, you know, whether it was Scott Harrison at Charity Water or Blake at Tom's or many others, we all knew of each other. We were all running pretty hard to try and make something happen. Um, and we all knew that we didn't know a lot. And so I think we've all relied on each other just as a community of people who care about the same things. I'll be the first to say that I am constantly out of my depth and constantly questioning, you know, do I know enough about the next step or the right way to build the company, to scale our impact to so on. I think, you know, with the marketplace changing so rapidly around us all the time, we're in constant beta mode. We're always reinventing ourselves. And I think that's a very uncomfortable place for people to be. But I think that's part of the nature of leadership today as well, is that, you know, when you define your purpose, you're very clear about what you're trying to achieve, but what that looks like and how you go about it is necessarily fluid. And you have to be comfortable with that. So to answer your question about my own leadership, I think, you know, I've led with my heart as much as possible. And then, you know, myself and my team have worked very hard to be very um, authentic and accountable in all the work that we do and to really back out of clients' needs rather than just apply some sort of theory onto everyone in the same way. Um, and so I think it's been trial and error. I think it's been a lot of mentorship. I think it's been a lot of asking a lot of questions always. And I think it's just being very, very attentive to the marketplace. And the nice thing is over time, when you work with a number of different companies, you have the benefit of pattern recognition, which other people don't have. You know, just because you're lucky enough to work inside the engine rooms of a variety of companies, you get to see what's working and what's not. So, you know, it's, it's a long-winded answer perhaps, but, you know, I think leadership is about constantly leading constantly staying out front and that's a risky place to be but that's the nature of the game mm -hmm. well and it's a great answer i think that you're i mean you touched on a number of things that are really powerful ways to learn about leadership and how great that your clients are providing you know some modeling of that as well just to sort of see the inner workings and really be able to draw from all sorts of different sources about how what kind of a leader you want to be right yeah yeah. Well, I know you're uh, involved in the B Corp and conscious capitalism movements. And uh, why do you feel that they are important for the future of business? 
I guess I'm kind of putting words in your mouth, but I'm assuming you are because you see some role for those organizations. Yeah, I think you know, we are a B Corp. And I think what's so powerful of what Jay Cohen Gilbert and the B Corp team have done is they've institutionalized values into the articles of a company. Because as we could all imagine, it's very easy to tick the box and say we care or we're, mm-hmm. we've made a donation or we've got some sort of community giving program, but really the company doesn't change itself. It's almost um, just window dressing to some extent. And for a long time, a lot of businesses got away with that because before social media, there was no transparency and they weren't accountable for what they did. Since then, you know, companies are very much on the hook for how they're behaving. And so the power of B Corp is that it allows companies to not only build values into how they operate, but also hold themselves accountable on a yearly basis to do so. And I think the more rigor that we can apply to this, the better, because it's almost like the engine of capitalism, which has served us for the last five, six, seven, eight days, eight decades, has created a lot of wealth. Um, it hasn't distributed that wealth necessarily as evenly as um, it perhaps could have, but we're now at a moment in time where the way that we've been doing business is not serving business well, is not serving society well, is not serving our future well in terms Mm -hmm. of the planet, in terms of the majority of people and so on. In which case, we're trying to swap out the engine of capitalism while it's hurtling down the road. You know, we're trying to swap it out as we go. So B Corp is like, well, how how do we lock in who we are as companies in our articles of incorporation? And other organizations are like, well, how do we build culture in a way that's more responsible to our employees? And other organizations like the Sustainable Apparel Coalition are like, well, how do we make products in a way that's more responsible to the planet? And all of these things sound very lofty, but tragically, they're incredibly necessary today because of the state we're in. And we're starting to see a lot of the effects of things like climate change, you know, visiting upon people's lives on a daily basis now. And you can imagine what's that's going to do to our lives and the lives of our kids you know, if it continues the way it is. And so B Corp and other organizations like this are important because they are kind of locking in this new engine of capitalism at a time when it's incredibly uh, needed. Hmm. Well, I I agree. I think the rigor that B Corps in particular, the certification process is very extensive and it really, you have to be able to actually demonstrate that it's integrated into the company and that uh, you're, you're actually doing these things. So I, I agree. I think that's playing such an important role, especially right now. Well, you, you touched on um, this platform idea and I, or uh, the idea of a movement. And I, you recently wrote an article about how Tesla is using their brand to build a better world. And you, you mentioned three different things, planning with purpose, building a movement and inspiring consumer advocacy, that building a movement, I mean, it's easy to say, and yet it's been so challenging for companies to really begin something like that because uh, it's obviously a significant undertaking. How do, you, how do you do that? How do you build a movement? I, I do believe that that is the great opportunity for brands today. And what we do in a lot of our work with companies is to help them become movements. And there's a specific way of doing that that i think all people instinctively know because we've seen so many movements around us in the last couple of years but we rarely get the chance to codify them and then apply them to our own business i'll start with the example of tesla 
what Tesla did was, you know, when Elon Musk started Tesla, he didn't say I want to launch a car company. He said he stated his purpose, which is he wanted to enable sustainable mass transportation. And to that end, you know, he opened up the IP of his battery technologies. He did partnerships with Nissan and BMW to get charging stations out there and various other things. So, you know, he did a lot of counterintuitive things because he was trying to do a reset moment on the auto industry to enable sustainable mass transportation. He then launched his benchmark vehicle, the Model S, which not only outperformed on safety, but also on speed and all those other things that, you know, other car manufacturers might have dinged Tesla for and said, well, that's great that it does this and it's, you know, and, you know it's a, a renewable energy source and it's an alternative energy vehicle, but it doesn't deliver on speed or performance or whatever. So right. he, he launched this product, which really sort of silenced all the critics. And then the third step, what he did was he democratized access to that alternative through the Model S, I mean, the Model 3, which most recently launched, you know, at the $35,000 value, which, you know, makes it much more accessible to vast majority of people. And it's actually, if I recollect correctly, uh, I, I think it outsold all other vehicles in its class, all other automakers mm -hmm. in, in wow. you know, since its launch. And so, this really is an idea, uh, a great example of a movement. You, you get very clear about what you're driving towards in terms of enabling sustainable mass transportation. You know, you create desire um, or aspiration towards that through the Model S, and then you democratize that and make it as inclusive as possible. And so, you know, when you think about your marketing, when you think about your business growth, when you think about selling more products, if you think about it through the old world lens of, well, this is who we are, this is our company, these are our products, these are the features and benefits, you're selling at people, which we all know no one wants anymore. There's huge distrust of advertising. We don't want ads in our Facebook or Twitter feeds and so on and so on. But if you actually launch a movement around something that people want to play a part in, Tesla had over 400,000, if not more, pre-orders um, for the Model 3 before the car was even built. Mm. That's never, I spent 10 years working on auto brands and writing campaigns to launch auto brands. I've never seen anything like it. And now <laughs> when you look at the demand in China, when you look at the demand in um, Europe, and you look at the demand in the US, these are people who are voting yes for something that they believe in is better for our future, the planet, and so on but then it's also better for them. And so I think Tesla is a great example on how you step-by-step step roll out a movement by being of service to something higher than yourself, but then position your company and products of service to that. And when you do that, you're relevant and meaningful to consumers' lives, and they'll buy your product even before you've made it, and they will brag about it, and they will talk about it, and they will boast <laughs> about it because it gives them badge value. It gives them, right. it speaks to who they are. So I think every brand has that opportunity right now and that's where the growth is. Well, that, I mean, that is an extraordinary thing and it's true, people are quite excited about it. I was in a mall recently that had a Tesla storefront and uh, it was packed with people just wanting to see the inside, sit in the cars really see what they were about. And I was surprised, I, I don't keep up on, on cars, but I was surprised at the kind of consumer level model, the, yeah. the Model 3, yeah. Well, 
Simon, before we get to the, the we, before we wrap up with the rapid round, I just had had uh, one more question about um, how you see the future. And I, I know that in a talk you talked about we've gone through these cycles of, of greening and sustainability and now purpose. And what do you think is next? What's what's next for your company? What's next in the world of business? Well, I think purpose is being mischaracterized right now because it's only, it's being limited to doing less bad. And what I mean by that is for decades, companies are absolutely unaccountable for what they did, what chemicals, they, you know, what pollution, whatever they might have done. And then now there's all this transparency and there's all this scrutiny on them. And really what you're seeing in a minority of companies is they're getting their house in order and, and being much more accountable um, for what they're doing. But really, they're only going from less bad to neutral at best. What we're not seeing, and we haven't appreciated yet, is going from neutral to better to best. Where, you know, for example, you'll have net positive companies who create more energy than they consume. Or companies and organizations that are actually like nature in some ways, regenerative in the, in, sense, in the sense that the way they operate will actually give back to the ecosystem that makes that operation possible. And so I see purpose as an innovation driver in the future. I think it's currently <clears throat> limited to being seen as, a, uh, as risk mitigation, as a reduction in the negative impacts that companies are having. But I think there's huge positive upsides. And as counterintuitive as it may seem, I think these challenges we face, whether it's you know plastics in the ocean or climate change and all these other things, these are all massive problems waiting to be solved. And I think there's a huge innovation opportunity there and a huge business opportunity there. And the more companies see these challenges as opportunities and give their and, and choose to play a meaningful role in solving for them, the more relevant they'll be to people's lives and the greater growth they'll enjoy. So I think purpose is innovation is, is a big opportunity moving forward. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And you said that so articulately that there's some application of that whole purpose idea. I mean, I think people often mean well with it, but haven't begun to kind of tap the potential for problem solving um, on a global scale that, that purpose uh, provides. So I think you put that extremely well as a huge innovation opportunity. So um, I always wrap up these interviews with a rapid round of three questions about impact. Are you ready? I am ready. Thank you. <laughs> so first is what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? I think it has to be done with integrity. That sounds obvious, but by when you really do something with integrity, you make the changes you've got to make that are either costly or painful on your own end. You make a long-term commitment rather than a one-and-done commitment. And you challenge yourself to grow as a person and as a leader, not just once, but ongoing. And when you approach it that way, you get far more satisfaction, far more fulfillment, far better results, and you unlock far more value to your business for doing it. I, I, yeah, 
challenge yourself as a leader on an ongoing basis. I, I really like that you said that. Um, so the second question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? I think I have a blind, bloody-mindedness, is an Australian expression, where you just keep, <laughs> keep plowing forward. I think, you know, I found through this work an alignment between who I am and what I do on a daily basis, and I've locked, unlocked the energy of a true passion, and that has propelled me forward on an ongoing basis where you just keep looking for more and looking to understand better and looking for better looking for what works and accepting what and identify what doesn't work. And so I think it's, it's about the relentlessness of it and it's the persistence of it. And it's about the focused application of your passion that I think every entrepreneur and every business leader has. Uh, and I, and I think, you know, when you do that, you know, eventually success rears its ugly head and says, you know, <laughs> that that's working or that's what it takes to, launch a product, to go into this market, to do this, to do that. Um, I think it's just that persistent application of passion that, that makes a difference. It's mm, great. Well, and the last question is, what's one insider piece of advice you'd share with another business owner who's saying, I want to have more impact? What would you say to them? The one thing that I would share is that there's a fundamental shift that everyone needs to be mindful of, which seems on the face of it quite simple, but it's pretty profound in practice, which is instead of being a company with a mission, you need to be a mission with a company. <laughs> what I mean by that is to unlock the power of this work, to be capable of launching and sustaining a movement, to become a, an organization or brand that is relevant and meaningful to consumers and employees over the long term. Your starting point has to be why you exist, your role in the world. And your company, your products, your services, your culture, your product innovation, your community giving are all a function of that. Rather than what I see very often with the best of intentions, which is, oh, well, we're still a company, but we want to do good, but it's always after the fact. If you really want to Play, uh, step into this opportunity that this moment in the marketplace provides. Start with what your purpose is. Start with why you exist and let that inform everything you do, no matter what role you play. Be a mission with a company, not a company with a mission. And that will make all the difference in the world to what you say, how you behave, how you market, what your advertising is, and, and so on. Mm. Well, Simon, you've been a very articulate advocate for being a mission with a company, and uh, you've certainly played that out in your own company. And I so appreciate you sharing your thoughts on purpose and leadership and um, all the things related to that in our conversation today. So thank you again for being here. No, I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate everyone who's listening because we all need each other. This is a moment in time where, you know, people with good hearts and smart minds and and the energy to build a business really need to to work together to kind of reframe the role, what what business does and what role it plays in our lives. So, yeah, absolutely, yeah, I agree. Well, thank you for the work um, you're doing. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Sure. If people want to email me directly, my email is simon at wefirstbranding.com. Simon at wefirstbranding.com. 
If you want to check out our website, you can go to wefirstbranding.com. And we also created some courses about how to define your personal purpose and how to define your company purpose. Um, and that's at wefirstworks.com, wefirstworks.com. Very inexpensive courses that take a lot of the things that we've learned and share them, especially for entrepreneurs and startups who need expert advice, but they don't necessarily have the resources. So we put that together. So wefirstworks.com, and you can reach me at simon at wefirstbranding.com. Great. Well, thank you again, Simon. I so appreciate all the amazing work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you, Ursula. And thanks to everyone listening. Really appreciate it. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Leave a review if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.